Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Donald Trump, when he was originally campaigning to be president of the United States, had a campaign slogan, and it went something like this, drain the swamp. (laughs) This was in reference, of course, to the massive bureaucracy that was developing around our federal government. What we have today is a whole army of unelected people with power over the citizens of this great country. This is not how a representative republic form of government can operate successfully. We, the people, have the control through fair elections to pick who we give the power of government to for this very thing to work. When Trump told everyone that we needed to drain the swamp, he was hitting on a very important point in the survival of our country as we know it. The swamp, as Trump found out, was way bigger than he had ever imagined. And as our founding fathers knew, power is the hardest thing to take away from people. What we saw from the raid on President Donald Trump's private residence recently was just another example of the swamp fighting back. On Monday's show, Tucker Carlson did an excellent job of articulating what is happening with the power grab that is happening. Or maybe it's not so much a power grab as it is power being held on to. I wanted to cover some of the points that he made uh, Monday as, as I thought they were right on target. And when he said, we've had a few days to reflect on it and have concluded that No honest person could believe that the raid on Donald Trump's home last week was a legitimate act of law enforcement. It was not. Even the Biden administration didn't really bother to pretend otherwise. The official explanations that we have heard for the raid make no sense at all. And it doesn't matter how forcefully they are repeated by the media. They're nonsensical. In case you've forgotten what they are, here's... A very, the, the, the very first explanation that they gave us, excuse number one, that these were ultra-classified documents in the basement of Mar-a-Lago unsecured, where they could be presumably broken in on and stolen or photographed and, and given to hostile foreign powers or, or, or even terrorists. So, so let me get this straight. You have to love how these things are are not just classified documents. These are ultra classified. This makes all, this makes things all the much worse, of course, because they're ultra classified. And who is trying to get past the Secret Service security at Mar-a-Lago to sneak a peek at these papers anyway? I mean, you you can just imagine Al-Qaeda taking selfies with these documents, right? Is it true? Are these papers being used as wallpaper on Donald Trump's bathroom? Of course not. At this point, no one has provided proof that this is true. 
but they just go ahead at your favorite liberal media outlet and repeat the talking points anyway. But let's just say, for argument's sake, that it's true. What would it mean? Well, what it means depends uh, in part on on what the documents were. Did, did those documents contain meaningful information? Should they have been classified in the first place? Is there a good reason the rest of us should not have been allowed to see those documents? In Washington, D.C., virtually anything can qualify as official state secret, and, and often does, actually. In, in 2011, to name one of many examples, the CIA finally declassified a trove of documents from the First World War. Yes, World War I. These documents dated back to 1917, almost a hundred years before. One of these documents, the most ultra-secret of them, as they put it, contained a recipe for disappearing ink. (laughs) Now, Now, why would federal bureaucrats spend an entire century hiding an outdated recipe for ink that you can buy legally at any magic store or Amazon for your fifth grader? That's a good question, don't you think? Instead, then CIA Director Leon Panetta used a press release bragging about how he was giving the secret ink recipe to a grateful public. (laughs) Quote, these documents remained classified for nearly a century until recent advancements in technology made it possible to release them. That's, That's what Panetta wrote. Quote, when historical information is no longer sensitive, we take seriously our responsibility to share it with the American people. Unquote. Again, this was 2011. So what, so what recent technological advancements was Leon Panetta talking about in the press release? And, and just how recent were they? Was, was Panetta actually saying that the CIA spies were still communicating in, in World War I era disappearing ink <laughs> as of 2010 or, or even 1950? It was another lie from the people in charge, the swamp. Here's the truth. The documents have been classified for a hundred years, not because disappearing ink was any sort of national security secret. They'd been classified because the government's default position in every case is that you have no right to see anything ever. It is their information. It is not yours. You're just a citizen. You're just a taxpayer. Shut up and pay for it all. So when they tell you that Donald Trump had classified documents in his basement, those materials could be literally anything. But once again, for the sake of argument, we're going to stipulate that Trump did have possession of documents that were classified for some good reason. Documents that, for example, we legitimately would not want the Chinese government to see, let's say. If that, if, if that is true, would it justify what happened? Would it justify sending a large team of federal agents to shut down the entire southern tip of, of Palm Beach to raid Mar-a-Lago on a, on a weekday? No, it wouldn't. In fact, one of the laws they're telling you that, that Trump broke doesn't even have criminal penalties attached to it because it, it's not serious enough. The actual warrant for the raid 
which was signed by an openly partisan judge who once represented Jeffrey Epstein side of the famous underage sex case. Yeah, that judge, (laughs) that judge allowed the FBI to seize virtually every piece of paper in Donald Trump's house, whether or not it had ever been classified. They took Roger Stone's clemency order, for example, that had been on the front page of the Washington Post. So, so was therefore probably not a secret. <laughs> Apparently, the feds even walked off with Donald Trump's passports, all three of them, preventing him from leaving the country. So whatever else this raid was, this raid was not about Presidential Records Act. That explanation is just simply absurd. It's almost a ridic- as ridiculous as the claim that the White House knew nothing about the raid before it happened, right? I mean, if they're going to lie to us, they ought to actually be a little better at it. So what has, what was this raid about, really, then? Well, here's the second explanation they gave us. Two words. Nuclear secrets. What nuclear secrets? That revised storyline was leaked anonymously to an obedient press corps, which, as you just saw, repeatedly repeated every word like it was a verifiable act. Yet, once again, no one ever bothered to explain that these nuclear secrets and and what they might be. What's What's a nuclear secret exactly, anyway? And what did Trump plan to do with them? I mean, did he plan to defect to Moscow? Give give the launch codes to Vladimir Putin? Start his own rogue state in the Bahamas? Nobody said. But that didn't stop former CIA director Michael Hayden from suggesting that Donald Trump should be executed, fried to death in the electric chair for committing these crimes, whatever these crimes were. There there weren't a lot of, of facts floating around. There still aren't. But there was a reason for that. They couldn't tell you the whole story. They couldn't release all the documents because that would jeopardize American national security. So instead, you're just going to have to trust them, of course. You're going to have to listen to their outrage. And there was a lot of that. There was endless huffing on television that something called the rule of law and how absolutely no one is above that. No one, not even a former president. We're informed of this by the same people who paid rioters to burn down our cities. The ones who eliminated bail. The ones who encouraged tens of millions of foreign nationals to ignore the federal immigration statutes and move to our country permanently at at public expense as a reward for breaking our laws. But keep in mind, no one is above the law. So it was an awful lot of uh, posturing in the days after the raid, but none of it was very effective. Uh, Because again, it doesn't make sense. Even propaganda has to add up. So nuclear secrets? Really? I mean, especially when when you get the order to go raid on a Friday and you decide to take the weekend and not do that till Monday. <laughs> if the president, if, if Biden, if the Biden administration really believed that, if they really thought Donald Trump possessed documents that posed an, 
an imminent danger to to American national security, then you have to wonder, why did they wait a year and a half to do anything about it? Why did they they wait until you know, till 90 days before a midterm election, an election that the polls suggest that they will lose. It doesn't, it doesn't make, well, or wait, actually it does make sense. In fact, the question answers itself. Despite superficial appearances, the raid of Mar-a-Lago was not an act of law enforcement. It was the opposite of that. It was an attack on the rule of law. It was a power grab. As Matt Boos, uh, who he put it, put it recently in, in American Greatness, the raid on Trump's home was exactly what it looks like, a show of force against the opposition leader by the head of state and his personal bodyguards. If this happened in any other country, it would immediately be denounced as an act of a dictator. That's true. But it's hard to hear those words anyway, right? As an American, you you don't want to believe it. And and yet, here are the essential facts. The same week, the Biden White House announced that Joe Biden will definitely seek a second term as president. The same week, the Biden Justice Department launched an armed raid against Biden's main rival, in that same presidential election. That's what happened. A week to the day after Joe Biden was inaugurated, the FBI arrested a 31-year-old man from Vermont called Douglas Mackey. According to the subsequent DOJ press release, Mackey committed an extremely serious crime. Like Vladimir Putin, he, he conspired to subvert the 2016 presidential election. In a tweet... Mackey had suggested, but not explicitly said, but suggested that it was possible to vote for Hillary Clinton by text message. (laughs) This act was proclaimed to be a very grave felony, a felony punishable by 10 years in prison. Assistant FBI Director William Sweeney, he, he confirmed that Douglas Mackey had, in fact, committed voter theft. So, As befitting a criminal of this magnitude, Mackey was handcuffed and hauled before a federal judge in Florida. His name, he was, he's called Bruce Reinhardt. It turns out the same magistrate who authorized last week's raid on Mar-a-Lago. Hmm, weird. Then Mackey was hauled off to jail. Now Mackey's arrest seemed like a significant story, but at the time, media coverage was almost nothing. Why? Well, the New York Times set the tone early by describing Mackey's, uh, Mackey as a, as a far-right Twitter troll. <laughs> far-right Twitter troll is not a technical term. In fact, it has no agreed-upon meaning of any kind. But in this case, the term far-right Twitter troll sent an unmistakable message to the country and in particular to the rest of the media that Douglas Mackey is a dangerous person with unspeakably ugly views. He deserved to be locked up. And so he was. There was no consideration of the merits of the government's case against Douglas Mackey, but there should have been because the case was absurd. If Mackey's tweets were so threatening to our 
our system of government toward democracy, then why did the Department of Justice wait for more than four years until the week Donald Trump left office to charge him? And if Mackey's actually stole the, the votes of American citizens, as the FBI repeatedly alleged that he did, whose votes were stolen? Who, who exactly were the victims of Douglas Mackey's crimes? The media never asked, and the Biden administration never said. The Justice Department has never identified a single person who was prevented from voting or from doing anything else by what Douglas Mackey tweeted because there weren't any people. Those people didn't exist. Douglas Mackey was not a criminal mastermind running a conspiracy to, to commit voter fraud. Douglas Mackey was an internet prankster. His job was to think up funny memes on his laptop in his bedroom, and that's what he did. Mackey was mocking Hillary Clinton. No one could miss that. He wasn't subverting elections. He was making fun of the candidate and not a single person in America actually believed that Douglas, Douglas Mackey and, and his, tweeter, his Twitter memes infringe on, on one of the most basic and sacred rights guaranteed by the Constitution, the right to vote. Absolutely no one believed that. No one could believe that because it's just too stupid a claim to believe, and yet... Nicholas McQuaid, who went to Columbia Law School and is now Joe Biden's assistant attorney general, made that claim anyway, verbatim, and did it with a straight face. Quote, Douglas Mackey is a threat to democracy. So he faces 10 years in prison. The DOJ press release said that. Three paragraphs, yes, three paragraphs later, the same press release inadvertently acknowledged that that, that was what was going on. In, in the, the run-up to the 2016 election, the DOJ explained Douglas Mackey had gained more influence, get this, he, he had gained more influence on Twitter than either NBC News or, get this, Stephen Colbert himself. Now, the criminal complaint against Douglas Mackey actually spells that out. You can read it for yourself. It's still online. The Biden administration argued that on Twitter, people like Douglas Mackey more than they liked, they, they liked Douglas Mackey more than they liked NBC News or Stephen Colbert. And they may not seem, you know, that, that may not seem, seem bad to you, but that's what they asserted. It may seem fine, you know, growing up as, as you did in a, in a country where people were allowed to choose what they read. But according to the government, Joe Biden, that, that Joe Biden now runs, that right there is a felony. Now, you don't have to be a right winger to find that terrifying. In a free country, you, you have an absolute right to say what you, what you think in public, period. It doesn't matter who is offended by what you say. It doesn't matter if people consider your views ugly. Even if every person on the planet finds your opinions horrifying and beyond the pale, you still have the right to express them because you were born with that right. It is inherent. You cannot be sent to prison 
for your political views ever. That is the core principle of the United States. That is the principle that Marines fought their way to the top of Mount Suribachi to protect. So whatever you think of his memes, Douglas Mackey, freedom of speech was very much worth defending. But virtually nobody defended it. Aside from a few brave, honorable exceptions, even so-called conservative media stayed away and they stayed silent as Douglas Mackey's life was destroyed by the Biden Justice Department. He's, he's still in limbo, facing 10 years. Why? Well, because the New York Times had called him a far-right Twitter troll, and no respectable person wanted to be anywhere near that. So the purge continued. Douglas Mackey may have been the first victim of the new authoritarianism, but he was hardly the last one over the last 18 months. Virtually every significant figure in the orbit around Donald Trump has been swept up by Merrick Garland's Department of Justice. Their homes raided, their personal communication seized and leaked to the media. Some have been arrested and thrown into jail. Donald Trump's lawyers are the primary targets. Monday, the DOJ subpoenaed Eric Hirschman. He, he represents Trump during the first impeachment. Now, Hirschman never worked in the White House's counsel office, but the Biden administration is going after him anyway because he gave legal advice to his client, Donald Trump. That used to be allowed. People used to be allowed to have lawyers and to speak to them privately, but it's not allowed anymore. That's why the CIA seized attorney-client records from Mar-a-Lago. It's also why the DOJ is now directing, directly targeting Trump's most prominent personal attorney, Rudy Giuliani. For years, the feds have been going after Giuliani's associates, including a man called George Dixon. Dixon was was working on a documentary about Hunter Biden. Uh-oh, right? <laughs> Last year, the FBI raided his home in California. The feds also broke into Giuliani's own apartment, as well as his office in New York. Then the FBI targeted a, a Giuliani associate called Igor Furman because he dug up evidence of misconduct by Joe Biden in Ukraine. They sent Furman to prison. Then the FBI sees the phone of prominent conservative attorney Victoria uh, Tosing. Now, she worked with Giuliani in 2020 to investigate election fraud. They raided her home. Monday, the DOJ announced that Giuliani himself is a target of a federal investigation. Why exactly? Well, because like Tosing and so many others who were now under investigation or under arrest, Giuliani questioned the 2020 election outcome. And in this case, in the state of Georgia. <laughs> really? Questioning the election outcome in the state of Georgia? Isn't that something that Stacey Abrams has made a career of doing? Yes, but Republicans no longer have that right. Not long ago, more than a dozen federal agents swooped in for a pre-dawn raid on former Trump official Jeff Clark. They left him on the street in his underwear for maximum humiliation. 
Then they seized John Eastman's phone. Eastman was also on, uh, he, he was a Trump attorney, and, and he was approached by six agents at a restaurant in New York, in New Mexico, while leaving uh, dinner with his wife. They patted him down and forced him to provide facial biometric data to unlock his phone. And then the DOJ tried the same thing with Steve Bannon's lawyer, Bob Costello, trying to force him to surrender his privileged phone and email records. We could go on and on and on. The, the point is, all of this is illegal. It violates the First Amendment. It violates long-established attorney-client privilege. But it happens right in front of us, and it happens a lot. The FBI had, had shackled former Trump official Peter Navarro as, as he was, was boarding a flight at Reagan National Airport. He was handcuffed, denied food and water, refused permission to make phone calls and a phone call to his lawyer. Then because that wasn't terrifying enough, Biden's FBI went after a sitting congressman perceived as too close to Trump. His name is Congressman Scott Perry. A day after the Mar-a-Lago raid, the Fed seized Congressman Perry's phone while he was traveling with his family. They could have called his lawyer and set up something. They didn't bother. That just, you know, they just, they just nabbed him in front of his, his family. And these, these are the, the prominent victims of this crackdown on civil liberties being conducted by the Biden administration. Now, of course, in the wake of January 6th election, justice protests, more, more than 900 people have been arrested and charged with crimes arising from, from that day. 900, almost all of them nonviolent, almost all of them with no previous criminal record. More than 50 of them have been sentenced to prison so far, including one with terminal cancer. What was her crime? walking around the Capitol building for a few minutes, and that's just the beginning. There are another 500 cases to go. In fact, the DOJ is getting an another $34 million, another 130 more employees just to handle all the cases from January 6th, from the election justice protests, which is, of course, what they were. Now, superficially, all of this is about Donald Trump, uh, and, and on some level it is. Permanent Washington does not want Trump to run again. Of course, it's their greatest fear, and they're doing all they can to prevent it. It turns out democracy is too important to let voters choose their own president, but if you take three steps back and consider what's actually going on, you'll see that none of this is really about Donald Trump, the man. It's about power, and that means it's about crushing and humiliating anyone who gets in the way of people who want to retain power, and that means anyone. How about Alex Berenson? Alex Berenson is a novelist and former New York Times reporter. And, and when he started to post fact-based challenges to the lies Joe Biden was telling about COVID and then, of course, COVID vaccines, the White House commanded Twitter to silence Alex Bergenson. And Twitter soon, soon did exactly that. 
There are written exchanges that prove that this is what happened. This is illegal. No American government is allowed to conclude or collude with private business to silence its critics, period. That is an unambiguous violation of the First Amendment. It's also a violation, of course, of Alex Bergenson's human rights. And yet, somehow, this slipped beneath notice. The New York Times didn't write about it. Why? Why would they? On some level, you understand because what happened to Alex Bergenson has happened to many, many, many critics of the Biden administration in the past year and a half. They have been censored. They have been silenced at the direction of the White House. Think, think about what this means. These are, are, are acts of aggression and hostility aimed at Americans. No American president has ever done this. No American president has ever explicitly declared war on its own population. And yet, for the Biden administration, it's a nearly weekly occurrence. Joe Biden and his attorney general, Merrick Garland, have been telling you that white supremacists, in other words, Trump voters, are the single greatest terror threat to the United States and what it faces. That's a lie. None of it is true. There's not a single statistic or piece of credible research to support what Biden and his attorney general Garland have said. Again, all of it's a lie. The truth was actually the opposite. These are the people who created the crime wave America is suffering under right now. They're, they're blaming you for it and for good measure. They're disarming you because you cannot be trusted with guns because you know, you're too dangerous. And just in case you missed the theme here, they're hiring another 87,000 armed IRS agents just to make sure that you obey. What you are going to see is the Biden Justice Department or some other state law enforcement agency under the, their influence finally indict Donald Trump. Obviously, they're going to do that. That's, that's the route they are headed currently. Who, who knows how? May, maybe they'll produce surveillance video from Mar-a-Lago. Uh, apparently, they've already subpoenaed that. And, and we'll, we'll, we'll spend the next year talking about how it shows Trump mishandling classified information. Really? On a server? <laughs> it's, it's always the same, except this time, unfortunately, it could be a little different. Indicting Donald Trump is a very big step, not simply because a lot of people like him or he's a former president, but because indicting him at this point would be to reveal that this entire thing. And, and by thing, we mean our justice system is just transparently political. They know what could happen if they continue down this path of using law enforcement to cling to power. But they don't care because they're facing a rep, rep, reputation and, and, a, and, a, and a vote coming up where voters are looking like they're going to throw them out. They're desperate to do anything. But at what cost? And you may agree with this and you may disagree with this. 
but I would definitely love to hear from you on it. And of course, you can always do that at UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.